Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. So we're in the book of Romans. We know that this is Paul writing to churches all throughout Rome. Paul's never been to these churches. And in a lot of ways, honestly, the more we talk about this, um, I kind of feel like we're a lot like those churches. We're a beautiful blend of people, lots of different cultures and backgrounds and You've got some new believers, you've got some seasoned believers, and Paul continues on this theme, being made right with God. And we've been there for a few weeks. For me personally, the one thing that's kind of, I guess, surfaced most than other things would be this idea of believing in God, believing, the Greek word pistis, remember this, we've gone through this so much, this idea of leaning your whole way, putting your whole self into trusting God, and Paul continues to point back to Jesus and his work at the cross, his life, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, leveling the playing field, putting Jews and Gentiles in the same conversation and uh, so we're going to continue today we're going to be in in, uh, the book of Romans chapter 5 and we'll be working through the passage 12 through 21 I just want you to know that this particular passage for me and if you're not you know maybe you're not like me but for me this was like a little bit confusing as I you know first glance over this unless you took AP Sunday school this is going to be a little confusing maybe you hit one of Pastor Hillary's breakouts then you're, you know, you're ahead of us. But for the, for the most part, for all of us, this, this could be a confusing read. And I really do feel, though, that God has given us a simple way for us to understand it. The most important question that we'll ask at the end of this message is, how does this apply to me? So we're just going to read. If you wouldn't mind, stand to your feet. We stand to our feet when we, when we read the primary text here at Cedar Valley. It's just something we like to do, acknowledging that this is God's Word. We're not going to read 12 through 21. We're just going to read verse 12, um, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it. Verse 12, it says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence that is in this room. Thank you that you are working in our hearts. Thank you that you have a word specifically for us today. Lord, today we give you permission to speak into our life. You know us better than anybody does because you created us. You're aware of every single detail of my life. And for the next 30 minutes or so, God, I give you full access to my life, to my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. And together everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, So we're going to do something. Uh, we'll get back to our passage in just a moment, but so bear, bear with me for, for just a moment. I'm going to show you a picture. A few months ago, I saw this picture. I really liked this picture, and I hoped that at some point uh, in one of my uh, messages that I would get to use it, you know, to, to help illustrate what God is trying to say. It's a little bit graphic, and, it, you know, it's a little extreme. It's tough, but I think it's going to really help us understand what God is doing through this passage. So just bear with me for a moment, but take a look at this, uh, at this picture. All right. I know. And, and I have some of these deer in my yard every once in a while, and, and, uh, and, I, and I love to eat deer, and, and I like to hunt. But I know this picture is not easy for some of you to see. But I want you to just take a look. Take a, take a look at the picture and just think for a moment, like, what, what comes to mind as this python is squeezing the life out of this young deer? What comes to mind? Maybe what comes to mind is you have this thought, like, at one point in my life, 
I definitely felt like that was me. Maybe you're here today and you say, that's how I feel right now. Like I feel like life is squeezing the breath out of me, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's how you feel. I want you to think about this. I want you to keep this picture in your mind because I, want, I think that there's some realities that, that in life can cause us to, to feel this way. And I just want to kind of work through the room a little bit with some of these. P- put your hand on your arm. And every time I say something that you would say, that's, that's me, just give yourself a little pinch, okay? And, and may, just be aware of how many times you're kind of giving yourself a little pinch. All right, so here's some potential pythons in life. And, 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 and these things kind of give us a little squeeze every once in a while. For some of us, it's a slow, it's a slow death. I mean, this python wraps itself around you, and you know we're going to be here a while, right? It's not something that happens quick. It happens over the course of time. Think about daily thoughts. For example, maybe some constant negative thinking. Or maybe it's some dangerous, maybe even evil contemplations. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what's wrapping itself around you as of later. The ongoing battle with envy or jealousy. Or, or maybe it's the critical spirit that wraps itself all around you and comes out unexpectedly at times in your life. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe it's money. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just poor spending habits or it's, money's just out of control. Or maybe it's just never having enough. It's just I'm tired of always chasing it. There's always more month uh, than there is money. Maybe the question I should ask is, do you, do you feel like you're under a curse? Like, I try so hard to do good. I try so hard to break these habits. I try so hard. I try so hard. And then I wake up in the morning only to feel this, like, weight upon me. Like, am I cursed? Am I cursed? Maybe you feel like your family is cursed. Maybe. Maybe you feel like, like, well, when I think about this, I do it. My dad does it. My dad's dad does it. My dad's dad's dad does it. Once this man told me. This hot-tempered blood of mine has been a family sin as long as I can remember. And I'm like, okay. So now we blame this curse on our life for our behavior, right? Sometimes we'd say it's even like sinful behavior. But we've been like this as long as we can remember. And everyone in our family is kind of like that. Right? What about the sin or the curse of your mouth? Maybe, maybe it's your mouth that continues to get you in trouble time and time again. It's the sexual innuendos or the, the verbal abuse. Right? You just can't help but say what you want to say and it gets you in trouble. Or maybe for those of us believers, it's more the self-righteous jabs right? that we just can't help but, but, but say. Or maybe it's the shaming of other people. Maybe it's the wrongful self-talk. Maybe you just are so hard on yourself, you tell yourself things that are not true or you're real harsh towards other people. Or maybe it's gossip or slander that you just feel, man, that's that python that just wraps itself around me and slowly it's getting the best of me and you just can't seem to stop. Or maybe apathy. Maybe it's you've gotten to the point where in your own life you're sort of like, I just, honestly, I don't care anymore. I don't feel like I used to anymore. Life has wrapped itself around me for so long. I've been like this for so long that I don't even feel like I care anymore. 
could be something like sexual sin. Years and years ago, it started slow and steady and just kind of wrapped itself around you. You started as a small little addiction. Now it's kind of overcome you. It's broken your marriage. You've lost a lot because of this addiction to pornography or, or this sexual promiscuity. This, this sexual sin has really taken a hold of your life. Or Drugs started recreational, and over the course of time, you've lost more than just your teeth, man. You've lost everything. You've lost everything, and it's been this ongoing battle where you just cannot seem to escape the grip of the squeeze. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe you grew up in an abusive household. Now you find yourself the abuser in a household, and you've tried to break it. You've gotten help. You've tried to escape this, and it just rears its head the next morning. And you wake up feeling like, I'm, I'm cursed with this. I'm cursed with this thing. We're going to make a move. And we don't do this all the time, but when we do it, it's important. Today, I'm going to give you the big so what, so what right up front, because it's going to help guide our conversation all throughout the day. So our big so what for today is this, and it's meant to stain your brain, like to think about this all throughout the week, and it's this, Jesus reversed the original curse. Jesus reversed the original curse. You know why? Because because of Jesus, you and I don't have to live under the control of sin. Jesus reversed, say that with me, Jesus reversed the original curse. All right, so back to Romans 5.12, the first three words of this says, when Adam sinned. So who is Adam and what did he do? Right? Adam and Eve, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that God created human beings in his own image, male and female, he created them. So now we have Adam and Eve, and they're in this beautiful garden, and God tells them you're to tend and watch over this. Now we're talking about absolute beauty, right? Fresh vegetation, fresh you know, trees, fresh water. Adam, Eve, you're to tend over this beautiful garden, except... Right, except Genesis 2.17, God warns Adam, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. In some verses in, in our portion of Scripture, Paul uses words like transgression or trespass, which uh, really speaks to like a willful violation of a known law. Sin is a is a violation of a clear command. And that's why I think it weighs on us so heavy is that we know better, we've learned, yet we continue to do. It's this willful violation of a known law, a known command. What does it mean sure to die? Because of Adam's sin, we're all sure to die. And, and, and here's one thing that we know is true is regardless of how healthy you find yourself today, Every single one of us, our bodies will fail us. We will all die. At some point in our life, we will experience death. But what is the death that Paul is referencing? What, what kind of death did Adam bring to the world? And it could be, it's both. It's, it's physical death, separation from the body, but it's also spiritual death, estrangement, separation from God. We will all experience we will all experience these deaths. We've experienced spiritual death. Some of us have experienced spiritual death. You're sitting in this room today, in a room this side. Surely there's somebody sitting in this room today who would say, spiritually, I've been dead. 
I've been dead for a long time. Some of you would say, I was dead, and I found Jesus, and now I'm more alive than ever before. Verse 12 says, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yeah, all of us have sinned. We have all sinned. So why do people die? That's a question that a lot of people ask. Why do people die? Because all have sinned. We all die because all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin is death. So what does that really mean? There's three kind of viewpoints when it comes to viewing all dying or all being sinners. And it really doesn't matter which one you prefer because they all end the same way. There's imitation, which is we've sinned like Adam sinned. There is infection because of Adam's sin. Now we inherit this sinful nature. And then there's inclusion. When Adam sinned, I sinned. Either way, we've sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. Now we can't point a finger at Adam and say, Adam, look what you did. Look what you did to this world. Because had it been you, you would have done the same thing. We sinned. And all of humanity was put into the same conversation, needing a Savior. Like you, sir, as good as you are, as wealthy as you are, as good as your life has been, you need Jesus just as much as the next man does. You might see this as unfair, but I think this is the beauty of the gospel. I think it's the beauty of the gospel that you'd be sitting in a church service like this today and you'd say, well, this isn't me because I've repented of my sin. I I have acknowledged that I am a sinner and that I needed a Savior and I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life. So thank God that I am no longer part of that. And that's great. But I think this is the beauty of the gospel that we would continue to preach the the salvation message because I see it as like a stone at at the river's bottom where the, the, the water just continues to wash over the stone and wash over the stone. And that's why I think as we preach and as we worship God, imagine yourselves at the river's bottom just being washed over, being washed over by God's word, by, by worshiping and, and raising our hands. It's good for all of us to hear the gospel message. Remember, Paul is writing to churches of believers. So why do we need to be listening to this message? It's good for you to be reminded. It's good for me to be reminded that I too need a Savior. That I too, apart from Christ, am an evil man, full of sin. And I need a Savior. I need Jesus in my life. You need Jesus in your life. That's why I love Sundays. That's why I love gathering together with other believers and lifting our hands. It causes the stresses and the pressure of life to kind of set aside and we focus back on Jesus, right? It redirects our thoughts. I love that. You might see this as unfair. Unfair. Why should everyone die because of the sin of one man committed thousands of years ago? It just doesn't seem fair. But the same could be said of justification through Christ. Why should the death of one man thousands of years ago lead to eternity for many? You know why? Because Jesus reversed the curse. Because Jesus reversed the curse. So why would Paul write this? 
because both Adam and Jesus committed an act that affected the whole human race. But there's a big difference between what kind of effect those acts that Adam and Jesus had on us. So by one act, Adam eating the forbidden fruit, everyone is condemned. One act, everyone is condemned, which leads to eternal death by one act of one man. By another act, dying on the cross for our sins, everyone can be justified, which leads to eternal life. Again, Jesus reversing the curse. The thing that you and I have to do when it comes to this conversation, we can't earn righteousness. We can't pay for righteousness. You can't borrow righteousness. There's nothing you can do in your own power to gain righteousness. The only thing you and I can do is receive righteousness. It's something only you can do for yourself is receive righteousness. It's not because you're good. It's not that you'll ever be good enough. It's that Jesus came and reversed the curse over your life. And now as a result of that, you can receive righteousness. The act of one man, Jesus Christ, the perfect man coming to this earth, dying a wrongful death in place of me, in place of you. Now you can receive righteousness. Paul uses this teaching method comparing Adam and Jesus. Even The Bible even talks about a comparison of Adam and Jesus in this portion that we're looking at today. And I want to do this exercise with you. We're going to kind of go into a classroom kind of setting, which is not my cup of tea, but we're going to do it for just a moment. They're going to put a graph on the board, and we're going to read through some verses together. We're going to read verse 15, and then we're going to kind of just identify the, the impact of one man and the impact of another. So I'm going to read verse 15. It says this, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So in verse 15, we see that it was for Adam, he brought death to many. And for Jesus, he brought forgiveness to many. Then we go to verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the results of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So in verse 16, we see that sin led to condemnation. We see that Jesus' gift leads to being made right with God. Verse 17, for the sin of the one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift, grace, and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. And death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So 17, death rules because of Jesus, grace and righteousness rule. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. In verse 18, we see that there was condemnation because of Adam for everyone but because of Jesus, there is new life for everyone. And in verse 19, we see that Adam disobeyed a clear command, a trespass, a transgression, a clear command given by God himself. But then we see Jesus' obedience to come to live this life among us, lived it perfectly, took on the sins of all of humanity 
so that we could experience life again. You see now why Paul is writing this to the churches all throughout Rome. You see that this is kind of applicable for where we're at even today. On this beautiful gift that God has given to us, this gift of righteousness, this gift of salvation, like we no longer have to pay for the sin. We no longer have to pay the penalty that we owe because of Jesus. On our accounts, we either have the sin of Adam or the righteousness of Christ. And maybe you're sitting in this room today and you're like, well, for sure I know that I've got the sin of Adam in me. But I'm not too sure I have the gift of righteousness. I don't think I've received the gift of righteousness. I don't know that I've ever understood that it's something I just need to receive. That I just can ask the Lord to come and breathe on me new life. Surrender my life the way it is today and receive the gift of salvation. I didn't know that I could do that. I love in this whole passage, this continuing thought, and, but even greater, but even greater, but even greater. That's the life of a believer, but even greater. Despite my circumstances, but even greater, Jesus. Despite my health condition, but even greater. Despite what I'm battling in my mind and in my heart, but even greater. Undeserved grace. Undeserved grace. Romans 5.20 says, But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Has, have you noticed in your life, as you've walked with Him, that His grace has only become more for you? That there's always been more than enough. That He's always had supply that he's always had enough for you. So how does this apply to me? How can I take this comparison of Adam and Jesus and apply this to my life? The first thing I think is the most important is that you and I, we don't have to live under the curse of sin. You know, when my son was young, I decided I'm going to save some money and not take him to the barber. I'm going to cut his hair myself. So I had to learn how to do that. The first few times, they didn't go very well. More than one time I called my barber and said, hey, listen, man, I'm at home trying to do this thing. I just messed this thing up bad. Can I take him in and you fix what I broke? And of course, he did that. He did that. Thank God. You know what we've learned today is that Jesus undid what Adam did for all of us. He undid what we did. When you receive his gift of righteousness, we live in triumph over sin and death. Because you and I are in Christ, sin is no longer in charge. Like the grip has been broken over your life. Our big so what? Jesus reversed the curse. It's like you can see God's big old hands grabbing hold of the python and beginning to unravel that from around you. And he's doing the hard work of unraveling what this vicious python has, raveled, has gripped 
over your life. Galatians 3.13, I love how it says that Jesus became the curse and the curse died. He took on the curse. He said, put all the curse on me. Put all, everybody's curse, put it on me. Everybody's payment, put it on me. Put it on me, and I'm going to go and hang on that tree. And when I die, that curse dies over everybody forever and ever and ever. All you have to do is receive. You just have to receive the gift of salvation. Romans 5.18, yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, but... Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God. And here's my favorite part. Right relationship with God and new life for everyone. You know, the prayer for today was that you and I would leave today feeling like I just had a fresh breath of air. The way it would feel if someone was choking you, choking you, choking you, choking you, choking you, choking you, and then they release and you're like, <gasps> that's been the prayer for you today, that you would experience new life. We sang the song this morning, come alive in the name of Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. I read a story recently that is so awesome, for perfect for this moment. It's a story of a place called Death Valley, Eastern California, right on the Nevada border. One of the hottest places, if not the hottest place on planet Earth. I mean, just one of the hottest surfaces. There's no life because there's no rain. 130 degrees, 140 degrees. I got a picture of what that looks like. I mean, just dead, right? Just dry, hot, no signs of life whatsoever. And, and, and honestly, as you see this, you might even think that's kind of like a great picture. You want to you know, you know how I feel? Like this, dry. Like this squeeze on my life has been for so long that I've lost almost all sense of hope. And this is true. This is a picture from Death Valley. In the early 2000s, something happened in Death Valley that had never happened before, 100 years. All of a sudden, they got some rain. They got like four or five inches of rain. And something amazing happened a few days later. You want to see what happened? Show the next picture. This happened. What they realized that day was that what they had been saying was not true. That is, that Death Valley is a place that is dead. Death Valley proved it was never dead, it was dormant. A little bit of water, a little bit of nutrition, a little bit of God's presence in your life, and all of a sudden those seeds that you thought were dead will come back to life. And my friend, that is the picture. That's what God does. You're sitting in this room today and you say, I've been dried out for years and years and years and years. And suddenly, I, in, in worship service, I have I've felt something that I haven't felt in a long time. They refer to this as the super bloom. The super bloom. When something that they thought, that they, they thought would never happen took place. And all of a sudden, every seed began to sprout. What does it look like in your life if you just allow some of God's rain 
to land on your hard heart, the callous that has developed around your heart and heart because of some real true church hurt. You've been hurt by the church. It's been years and years and years. Something happened. Someone violated you. Someone hurt you. And since that happened, there's been a slow leak, just this, just, just this python-type grip around your body, choking you out. And right when you thought all hope was lost, all of a sudden you feel God's reign in your life. And you feel like you can breathe again. I just wonder how many people are sitting in this room today. You had no idea that God had your number today. He said, I know how dry your heart is. I've seen it. I see those nights, I hear those prayers, I know the brokenness, I know the pain, I know the struggle, I see the grip, and if you'll let me, I'll begin to unravel that grip over your life. And listen, he's not going to just alleviate a little bit of it, it's broken, he reversed the curse over your life. Today could be the first day you say, I'm not living under that family curse anymore. That is not a part of my life. Jesus came and he reversed that curse over me and all my children, my wife. He reversed that curse. So here's what we'll do. I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet as we respond to God's word. You're in this room right now and you say, there's no question, man. No question. I need Jesus. Or I've been following Jesus a long time. But if I'm being honest, man, my, my heart has become hardened. I've got the callus growing in my heart. It's been a long time for me. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I just want you to lift your hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my life. I need the rain of his presence to come and soften the hardness of my heart so that it can be pliable again. I want to live again. I want to breathe again. I don't want the critical spirit. I don't want the gossip. I don't want the slander. I don't want the mouth. I don't want the drugs. I don't want the drunkenness. I don't want the curse that I felt has been over my family for so long to rule me anymore. Jesus, you came so that I could be free from the grip of sin in my life. And I acknowledge that today I just have to receive it. I just have to receive your grace in my life and begin to walk in obedience. And as I do that, you will wash over me. You will wash over me and begin to replenish my faith and begin to strengthen my faith and begin to rebuild me from my brokenness. God, you can do for me what you've done in other people. And I want to receive that. When I say three, I just want you to lift your hand up. Be, be strong. Be courageous. Be bold. One, two. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. We'll do this together. Three, lift your hand right there where you're at. Come on, lift your hand right there where you're at. Lift your hand right there where you're at. You can put your hand down. Father, you see every hand in this place, every single one of them. You saw every hand in this place, including my own. And we recognize today, God, that without you, apart from you, our hearts are evil, cursed, cursed, hopeless. But thankfully, you sent your son, Jesus, to come and reverse the curse over my life, to undo what I did to myself, to take a sinful man and 
give him righteousness, salvation.